0: More than five million people in the United States are disabled because of brain injury. Dr. Gregory O'Shannock, the National Medical Director of the Brain Injury Association of America, calls the work of our guest today, the most promising breakthrough in improving outcomes for traumatic brain injury. What is this astonishing breakthrough? Welcome to our special series on future medicine. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Donald Stein. Dr. Stein is a neuroscientist and Asa G. Candler Professor of Emergency Medicine at Emory University. Before recently returning to full-time teaching and research, he served in a variety of administrative positions, including Dean of the Graduate School of Arts and Sciences, Vice Provost for Graduate Studies, and Vice President for Research at Emory. Dr. Stein's research has long focused upon examining the processes underlying recovery of function after traumatic brain injury. Welcome to Reach MD.
1: Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here.
0: Dr. Stein, please outline for us uh, what has been done in the past to try to treat traumatic brain injury.
1: Well, there's been a long history of attempts to obviously find effective pharmacotherapeutic agents that can be given early in the injury, in the acute stage of the injury process, to try to stem the destructive processes that follow a brain injury because one of the things that i think i'd like to stress at least for the moment is that brain injury is not just a single unitary event it's a process that continues to unfold days, weeks, and even months, and there's some evidence to suggest even years after the initial injury. It's systemic. It's a large traumatic event that not just affects the brain structures itself, but now we know that there are many other parts of the body. Even liver metabolism is directly affected by a traumatic brain injury. So, Having said that, there have been lots and lots of compounds, experimental compounds that have been tried and extensively tested by pharmaceutical companies over the years, uh, drugs that try to block cytotoxic agents, inflammatory substances that are triggered by brain injury that try to stem bleeding, that try to, a lot of uh, uh, steroid use, like the use of methylprednisolone has been tried. Hypothermia is still under investigation. Drugs that supposedly stimulate the production of neurotransmitters to enhance neurotransmission have been tried. So there's been a whole host of agents and approaches to try to treat brain injury. The problem is is that I think in the last 30 to 40 years, probably several hundred compounds, if you take stroke in, into this uh, consideration as well, I, can, I know I could say that probably several hundred experimental compounds have been tried. And to date, none of them have really proven to be successful in clinical trial, except perhaps in stroke with TPA. Tissue plasminogen activator.
0: Now, when I was in school and in training, corticosteroids were given to just about all of these patients. What's the thinking about that now?
1: Well, that's a real no-no now, if I can say so. There was a very large study, actually designed to test this, that was promoted by the Medical Research Council of England, and it was called the CRASH trial. And that was supposed to enroll over 20,000 patients with all the way from mild to severe brain injuries. At 10,000 patients, which is a huge number, the trial was stopped because they found a very highly, highly significant increase in mortality in patients under the uh, steroid treatments so the methylprednisolone treatments were stopped, and now it's my understanding that the American College of Neurological Surgeons and other professional groups are definitively stating that under no circumstances should they be used in the treatment uh, of traumatic brain injury.
0: So you've been looking at progesterone's effect on the brain for, oh gosh, how many years now?
1: Well, that's been now more than 20 years since we started that initial work, just about 20 years, yeah. Huh.
0: And how did you get interested in that?
1: Well, we got interested in that because in previous research, we had no that females tend to recover better than males. I've seen anecdotal reports in the clinical literature, single case studies, suggesting this. And most laboratory investigators using, for example, laboratory rats or mice, I would say probably 95% of all the studies that are done are done with males. And part of that is done to avoid having to deal with hormonal cycling in the female, among other issues. But, you know, in following up on these reports, I tried to get some of my students in the late 60s, early 70s to begin to look at this, and nobody thought it was really an important problem, but you'd see these reports in the literature appearing. So finally, one day we decided to test this directly, and sure enough, we found that females do recover better after bilateral removals of the frontal cortex. These are in rats, remember. After bilateral frontal cortex removals, the females did substantially better than the males, but what we found was that it depended on where they were in their ester cycle. This is the equivalent of the menstrual cycle for the female rat, the ester cycle. Turns out where she was in her ester cycle played a tremendous role. When we looked at this, and we found that when she was high in, in the luteal phase, when she was high in progesterone, the outcome was much, much, much better than if the same injury was inflicted when she was high in estrogen. And we weren't giving them any treatment. We were just manipulating this endogenously. You could do this by providing mild mechanical stimulation of the cervix in the female. She goes into a state called pseudopregnancy which she thinks she's been impregnated, mm. and so her progesterone levels rise. So we were just looking at the natural state that they were undergoing, this, this estrous cycle, which takes place every five to six days in the female rat.
0: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Reach MD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Donald Stein from Emory University. We are discussing progesterone's effect on brain damage. So, Don, what effect does progesterone have on the brain?
1: That's a great question, Leslie. First of all, when we looked at that study that I just now told you about, we found that the injury produces a substantial amount of ventricular ventriculomegaly, enlargement of the ventricles, usually a sign of intracranial pressure increases. When we looked, what we found was that the animals that were high in progesterone had substantially lower levels of cerebral edema, which we could measure very precisely. I mean, it really just virtually eliminated edema, which is a very substantial, as most people know, working in head injury, a very substantial problem for head injury victims. The next question was... Um, How does this come about? Kurt, what would happen if we injected males with progesterone, which we did, and this is all published uh, results? We found that when males were given a short course of treatment, always post-injury, not giving anything prophylactically here or pre-injury, edema levels were reduced to those we saw in the females. In other words, we practically completely eliminated cerebral edema. So one of the mechanisms by which it works is to dramatically reduce cerebral edema early on in the injury process. And it does this through a lot of events. It's a pleiotropic hormone, it's called. It's a very powerful developmental hormone that I believe has evolved to protect the fetus. And that fetal protection, during the development of the fetus and the development of the nervous system, many of the processes that occur in repair of the damaged brain are very similar to the processes that are actually taking place during development. So progesterone isn't a particularly smart hormone. It's just doing the same kinds of things that it would do to protect the fetus, namely reduce inflammatory immune reaction byproducts, prevent lipid peroxidation of tissue, and prevent all the cascade of these biochemical events that would basically try to destroy a foreign body in, in the mother's womb. And when you have a brain injury, a lot of those processes are very similar. So what progesterone is doing is reducing inflammatory cytokines stimulating the production of trophic factors in the brain. And also now we know that it stimulates the synthesis of myelin in both the spinal cord and in the brain. Spinal cord through these cells called Schwann cells, and in the brain through the stimulation of oligodendrocytes that actually produce the myelin that then covers nerve cell axons.
0: So any other effect on spinal cord injury other than what you just mentioned with the Schwann cells? I haven't done it, but there have been reports published in the literature
1: using weight drop injuries on exposed spinal cord that progesterone treatment does uh, seem to produce, there's been a number of reports both here and abroad showing that it does produce better neurologic outcome after spinal cord injury but it's never been tested in people to the best of my knowledge.
0: Now what about on other cells like the retina?
1: You know that's a great question because I'm, I'm working with colleagues here at Emory just getting started to see whether progesterone treatment can affect mast cell production in the retina in cases of retinal degeneration. And I wish I had some substantial data on it, but there are a few published studies suggesting that it might actually be beneficial. And we are beginning just now to look at that uh, in our own cell culture models of retinal degeneration here at Emory.
0: Now, I guess the obvious question too is uh, what happens when you give males progesterone? Well, you know,
1: it doesn't produce any of the changes in secondary sexual characteristics that estrogen produces. So a lot depends when you say what happens when you give it to males. It depends on the doses. In very, very, very high doses, it can reduce sexual drive. That's been pretty well established. But insofar as the changes we're seeing, it produces the same kinds of beneficial effects that I've mentioned to you in terms of its mechanistic effects. It, it does the same thing in males as it does in females, equally as effectively. We're only giving, even, in, even if we were to give this in clinical trial, it's such a short course of treatment, a maximum of three to five days. That it's not going to produce any long-term effects that we're aware of.
0: I'm assuming that this needs to be given right away, as soon as possible, proximal to the injury.
1: Well, that's always best in any type of neuroprotective treatment. You want to give it as soon as possible after the injury. One of the things we found in our publications with laboratory animals is that it has a relatively large window of opportunity for treatment. We were able to delay progesterone treatment experimentally up to 24 hours after the initial injury and still get very substantially beneficial effects. And that's because there are waves of edema produced. There are two forms of edema, vasogenic edema, which is caused by penetration of the blood brain barrier, and cytotoxic edema, which is caused by the cells swelling up as a result of changes in osmolarity and water channel protein activity. You can block both of those over time and that process can take as, as much as three to five days. So progesterone can work on this whole process. So I would always advise in any case to give it as early as, as you possibly can. But unlike many other drugs, we do have a 24-hour window of opportunity that where it still seems to be dramatically beneficial.
0: Now, Don, what does the future hold for this research?
1: Well, I think it's extremely promising. First of all, uh, we have come off of a successful clinical trial. Second, I think one of the things I'm trying to move now with my research, if I can get the funding for it, is to move it into the area of ischemic stroke, both a transient and permanent ischemic stroke. We have good preliminary results, again, in our animal models, that progesterone treatments post-injury in the same time frame and with the same course of treatment are equally as effective in the treatment of transient and permanent ischemic stroke as it would be in traumatic brain injury. That's one area. I think the other area that we're looking to develop now is to see whether we can get efficacy and safety in pediatric models of brain injury. Again, I want to stress that this is all preclinical. We're strictly working with animal models and hoping to get the funding for this, in all honesty. That's where we are right now.
0: Okay, so outside of clinical trials, this is not a strategy to be used in patients?
1: Well, not yet. I think one of the things that we have under planning right now is... uh, in fact, the grant application just went in yesterday uh, to look at this in, in a multi-center clinical trial that would involve over 1,000 patients and 15 different uh, university trauma centers across the country.
0: Wow. So lots of work still to be done. Absolutely. Good thing you have a few years left in you, Dr. Stein. I'm hoping. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the funding certainly has come easier um, in recent years than at the beginning when you started this journey.
1: Well, that's clearly uh, true. You know, it's still—I don't want to make light of it. Everybody in this day and age that has to appeal to the NIH for biomedical research funding is under uh, tremendous pressure uh, due to cutbacks in funding and the very substantial numbers of increases in applications as people try to find ways to support their research and to support themselves. But yes, in general, I would be—it it, is—it has been easier. The more replications and studies that come out. From independent labs supporting our findings hopefully in principle should make it easier for us to get uh, funding.
0: I'd like to thank our guest today, Dr. Donald Stein. We have been discussing the breakthrough of using progesterone in brain injured patients. I'm Dr. Leslie Lund. You've been listening to a special series on the future of medicine on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at reachmd.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.